an old preacher joke. You've probably heard it. A man was speaking to a friend on Monday morning, and the friend asked the man what he did yesterday on Sunday. The man says, well, I went to church yesterday morning. And his friend acts surprised, but then asked, well, what did the preacher preach about? The man says, well, he preached about sin. And his friend asks, well, what did he say about it? The man says, he was against it. <laughs> you will probably walk out today saying the same thing, that our preacher is against sin. And you're right, I am, but you should be too. We all should be. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So sin is falling short of God's glory. And then 1 John 3.4 says everyone that practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And the word for sin in 1 John 3.4 is the Greek word hamartia, which means to miss the mark. It's in reference to an archer shooting an arrow and missing the target completely. He misses the mark. And we've all sinned. Folks, the good news of Christianity starts with the bad news of our sin. And most people living in our world today, particularly in this country, in our secular society don't understand the serious nature of sin. Sin is a greatly underestimated problem in our culture today. Our sin alienates us from God, and it causes all kinds of problems. And it's because of our sin that we need God's salvation. And Christianity offers God's remedy for sin, as well as, even as Dave prayed, the one and only path to eternal life, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. We've just come through a pandemic with COVID, but there is an epidemic that continues to rage on, and it's a neglected epidemic, and it's the epidemic of sin. Our Modern Western culture is very materialistic. You know that. By materialistic, I mean that it emphasizes the material things, the physical realm, and it neglects the spiritual realm. And even as Christians, we all seem to, to just focus on the physical needs. Food, shelter, clothing, health care, consumer goods. How much of your conversation has dealt with those things lately compared to spiritual matters. We tend to neglect spiritual needs. And in a materialistic culture, success is defined in terms of accumulating material goods and wealth rather than in spiritual terms. Celebrities and the beautiful are the objects of our affection and attention. We don't want to be old, wise, and holy. We want to be young, beautiful, and wealthy. That's a materialistic culture. And so in that type of culture, we minimize sinful behavior. In fact, we minimize it to the point that we rename it so as to make it not sound so bad. We don't sin anymore. We just make mistakes. 
We don't lie anymore, we just misspeak. A person isn't guilty of sexual fornication and adultery, they're just guilty of indiscretion or of a sexual addiction. And it was comedian Bill Mayer that said, everything that used to be sin is now a disease. Even during the COVID lockdowns, the things that were considered essential, notably excluded churches and places of worship and focused on the physical requirements for life. And in a materialistic culture, religion is just something to be tolerated, but it's certainly not considered essential. And rather than ask the question, is there a spiritual problem that is contributing to our personal and societal issues, our thoroughly secularized culture offers physical and material solutions to life's problems, like therapy and education, economic and political solutions. And to be fair, those, those solutions have some real value. I mean, after all, your chances of getting a job that will pay enough to easily support your family is greatly increased by getting a proper education and training. But an education is not going to point you towards Jesus. These things only have limited value if one half of reality, the spiritual realm, is neglected. History tells us that even some of the most highly educated people commit moral, civil, and criminal offenses against others. Bernie Madoff, the Ponzi schemer that bilked around $65 billion from people's life savings, was college educated. Ted Bundy, serial killer, was college educated. Education's useful, but it doesn't transform human nature so that it only desires to do what is good. It doesn't point you towards Jesus. And economic solutions, those haven't eliminated human suffering. Since the 1960s, our government has poured huge amounts of money into welfare programs, and yet the rate of poverty is basically unchanged. Economic solutions don't point you towards Christ. And materialistic solutions are often just band-aids placed on the wounds of deeper problems if the spiritual half of reality is neglected. And our culture ignores the source of many personal and societal problems, which is the corruption of the human heart by sin. So we need to make a proper diagnosis. Sin is the other half of the equation. Sin is the wrench in the works. It's the unaccounted variable. Sin is the spiritual illness that infects all of us. But our culture has rejected the truth of Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, which says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Now our culture says, when in doubt, just follow your heart. 
You can't go wrong if you follow your heart. And yet Jeremiah 17.9 says the human heart is corrupt and can't be trusted. Culture says be true to yourself. And yet God's word says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Our hearts, the seed of our emotions and desires and will, our hearts have been twisted by sin so that our hearts will often lead us away from the truth. And we need God's word as a ruler to measure our thoughts and desires. I don't know if any of you use the Bible reading plan from the lookout. I use it every year and have for years. But this week it's taking you one of the selections that it takes you through. It's 119th Psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible with 176 verses. And in the ninth verse it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? And you see the answer. By keeping it according to thy word. That's how we're to live. By the word of God. And verse 105, of course, where you've got from memory, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Sure. So the Bible just acts kind of like a guardrail to prevent us from driving off the road. It illuminates the right path to travel. And it acts like a mirror that allows us to examine our lives and see the mistakes we've made and make the necessary course directions. I should say course corrections for our lives. But our culture, contrasted with Christianity, just reveals two very different worldviews with very different messages. Our culture believes that mankind is basically good rather than corrupted by sin. And that's the very reason why so many secular solutions don't remedy the problems that they seek to fix. Our culture has rejected the fallen nature of man, as well as the spiritual root of the corruption of the human heart. And as such, it is incomplete, lacking, unable to provide an effective remedy for humanity's deepest problems in the way that Christianity can. And so we need to maintain a proper perspective of sin. To sin is, again, to miss the mark of what God says is right and good and pure and moral. And the standard that we should all strive for, the proper moral target, is the imitation of the holy character and purity of God Himself. Right? Nobody agrees? Should we not strive for the holy character and nature of God? Yeah. But our culture has no intention of trying to imitate the character of God. No intention at all. When we sin, we fall short of God's glory, according to Romans 3.23, and to sin is to break God's law. We all stand guilty before our Creator. Sin clouds our assessment of what's right and wrong. Sin corrupts us so that we become morally weak, and we commit sin more easily and more often. And the more we sin, the more desensitized that we become to sin and think, ah, that's no big deal. When God created man, humans, He implanted a basic knowledge of right and wrong within each one of us. But we have violated that standard, and we have scarred our consciences 
We can all testify to times when we knew that we shouldn't mistreat someone, but we went ahead and did it anyway. All of us have experienced moments when we knew something was wrong. We knew it, but we went ahead and did it anyway. We've each willingly committed acts that we knew were wrong. And all of us have acted in violation of the written Word of God. God's Word tells us not to lie, but we all have. God's Word tells us not to steal, probably we all have. God's Word tells us not to disrespect our parents, not to covet, and so on. And who among us can say that they've kept all of those written commands perfectly? No one, none of us can. And the evils and the problems of our world around us testify to the damage that is caused by human immorality. And so we live in a world where we often see murder and violence and human neglect and selfishness and the like. Those are all products of sin, lust, hatred, greed, malice. Those things are just as common as the air we breathe today. And not only has sin damaged humanity, but it's also warped all of creation and brought corruption to this physical earth as well. When Adam and Eve sinned, God pronounced a curse on this earth, this world that He created for us. And so we see natural disasters and droughts and famines and harmful genetic mutations and diseases and death. Those are just realities that are a consequence of sin. Romans 8.20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility because of sin. Unless we cast all the blame upon our culture, you and I have contributed to the mess in our own ways. We have all have freedom of choice, but all of us have chose to disobey God. We've all chosen the wrong over the right at times. We've all been selfish at times. We've all neglected to do what was right at times. We've all spoken hurtful words. We've all been impatient with others and arrogant and failed to show the kindness and generosity that we should. All of our sins have had an effect on the people in the world around us. Sin is universal. And by it, we've all helped make a mess of the world around us. We're all guilty. But that's not the worst part of it. The worst consequence of all is that our sin has placed our souls in eternal peril. Contrary to popular belief, we do not merely commit minor offenses when we sin. Sin is much more significant than that. Sin is rebellion against our Creator against God. When we sin, we offend God. And to offend God is to offend the one person you should least want to offend. To offend God is to make the worst possible mistake. We have offended the most powerful being in existence. And Paul says in Colossians 1.21 that our sins make us alienated and enemies with God. Sin dooms us. To be alienated from God is the worst possible scenario for us. And if we die in that alienation outside of God's saving grace in Christ, 
then our alienation will become permanent in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It'll be an eternal death that is far worse than any physical death that we could ever experience here on earth. But our culture, our culture could care less because they refuse to acknowledge the validity and the importance of the spiritual realm. And thus they only focus on the physical. Bob Russell wrote this in his blog a couple weeks ago. If you go to Bob Russell Ministries online, you can read this, and I'm going to quote this for you from May 29th. He said, and I quote, What is wrong with our world? An 18-year-old boy savagely gunned down most of an entire class of grade school children, yet there was no rational explanation other than suggesting that he was mentally ill. Really? It's been gut-wrenching to witness the anguish of grief-stricken families in Uvalde, Texas. People from all walks of life and political persuasions are demanding that government officials do something to prevent repeated horrific violence that seems to be overwhelming us. Unfortunately, it's not just horrific shootings. It looks like our entire civilization is coming unraveled. We're enduring an ongoing brutal war in Ukraine, Racial and political division in America, moral apostasy, and strife within religious denominations? What is wrong with us? More importantly, what can be done to stop the hatred and violence? How can we restore stability and morality? Some attempt to identify the problem as the easy access to guns. Others attempt to diagnose it as mental illness while others suggest the primary issue is racial prejudice or widespread poverty. The Bible identifies the core problem as human depravity and prophesies that sin will escalate in the last days. Shortly after Adam and Eve sinned, Cain murdered his brother Abel. Within a few generations, man's downward spiral into sin reached such decadence that the earth was filled with violence and bloodshed. The Bible says God regretted He had created man and wiped the world clean with a flood and started over. We are repeating the same cycle. As in the days of Noah, most in our culture reject God's authority. Consequently, Satan is gaining momentum. How can a young man shoot his grandmother and then randomly slaughter 19 innocent schoolchildren unless he's demon-possessed? Jesus said the devil specializes in killing, stealing, and destroying, and this is Satan's hour when darkness reigns. The scriptures plainly teach, but mark this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The Bible warns that God's ultimate response to escalating evil will once again be a sudden, austere judgment on the world. The God that loves justice and has compassion for the innocent will not sit idly by forever as helpless children are slaughtered by gunfire and dismembered by abortions. The Bible teaches that their innocent blood cries out from the ground and judgment is coming. I suspect it is coming soon. 
The next time God enacts judgment on the world, it will not be with a flood. It will be by fire. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. The Bible teaches there's only one hope of salvation. And that is through the dramatic intervention of Jesus Christ. One day Jesus is going to return to earth abruptly. He will save the faithful who trust in Him, yet punish the rebellious who refuse to repent and follow Him. Revelation 19, 11-16 warns, With justice He judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and He'll strike down the nations, and He'll rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On His robe and on His thigh He has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. What can we do in the meantime? Simon Peter answered that question in 2 Peter 3, 11 and 12. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. End of quote. I know that was rather lengthy, but boy, I just thought he hit the nail on the head. And that's how we should live as each day brings us closer to the Lord's return. But we live in a world that approves and endorses sin. We live in a world that calls good evil and evil good. And the Bible warns us about the sin of approving sin. It is a sin to approve of sin. Romans 1, 18-32 is a very sobering passage. The NIV Bible titles it God's Wrath against sinful humanity. The verses list an abundance of sins that provoke God's anger. And the list includes everything from sexual impurity and idolatry to arrogance and hatred. And that stern passage concludes with this warning. Although they know God's righteous decree, you get that? Those people committing those sins, although they know what God has said, That those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. They approve of sin. Christ followers are challenged not only to resist evil desires, but we're admonished not to give approval to those who indulge in depravity. I mean, if a despondent man is standing on the roof of a high building threatening suicide, it's sick for the crowd below to cheer him on and encourage him to follow through and jump. That's sick. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And it concerns me that some who claim to be Christians imagine themselves as being tolerant when they openly endorse false beliefs and evil behaviors. In a culture where flaunting sin is common and opposing sin is seen as hate, many believers yield to peer pressure and they cheer depravity and they call good what God calls evil and they undermine the biblical plea for repentance. Now, it's one thing to be kind and respectful, but it's another thing to approve of sin and enable it. 
And as our culture drifts farther and farther away from God, it's necessary for God's people to stand firm in the faith and to be willing to be a peculiar people, as Peter said. And that means not liking or approving of depravity, just to be seen as tolerant or to avoid conflict. Evangelist Shane Pruitt recently tweeted, No matter how much a culture celebrates and affirms sin, it still doesn't stop being sin. And he's right. Rather than endorsing sin, the compassionate and faithful response of Christians is to encourage others toward repentance and to receive salvation from sin. Jesus treated people with love, but he still confronted them with sin. Go call your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right. You've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. This you've said correctly. That woman was led to faith in Christ, but he confronted her with her her sin. The Pharisees bring the woman that's been caught in adultery. Jesus said, let the first among you without sin cast the first stone. They all left. The woman's left there. And Jesus concludes that by saying, go and sin no more. We can treat people with love and respect and still lead them to acknowledge that they've sinned and they need to repent and turn to the Lord. That's not easy to do in this era of cancel culture when there's so much pressure to conform and unpleasant consequences from social media bullies. But folks, it's time for us to realize that sin is a greatly underestimated problem in our world. In fact, culture itself doesn't even acknowledge it's a problem, but we know better. And it's also time for us not to endorse sin or encourage sin, but to confront it. It's time for us to focus on pointing people to Jesus. It's time we live lives that are different than the world and the culture that we're in. Let people see Jesus in you because he's the only solution to the problems of our world. How many of you want to make our world a better place? I think we all do. Then go lead someone to Christ. Every time a person comes to Christ for salvation our world is made a better place. And the more people we lead to Christ, the better our world becomes. Because Jesus is the answer. And He's the only solution to the problem of sin in our world. I pray that you're ready to meet the Lord when He returns. I don't know when it'll be, but I pray that you're ready. But who are you taking with you? Who are you leading to Christ? I pray that we'll get serious about evangelism and sharing our faith before it's too late for many when the Lord returns. So when you walk out of here today, well, our preacher's against sin, but you should be too. That doesn't mean that we're hard, but it means that we should be loving and compassionate and trying to lead people to faith in Christ. Let's do it as we stand and sing.